So I suggested um, a three-part process, let's say paying attention. It's not as if one ceases to pay attention, but that's the first thing we establish because it's something we can deliberately do. And and then with that, there's the responsibility to pay attention in a suitable way to things that are going to give us the... uh, going to bring our good intentions to the fore. So what we experience as a result of intention and attention, what you give attention to is going to affect you, how you attend is going to affect you. The two together is going to mold the sort of contact that you experience in your heart. What you see is going to be dominated by what you, what you feel is going to be dominated by what you look at what you give attention to, what you concern, you bring your thinking processes into, into contact with. You know? So attention, contact, intention, these are all important aspects of paying attention. What is, recognize every act of attention is a kind of gift. You know, we give, give our mind to something. So, you know, you don't want to give your, give your attention to something that's just going to leave you in a, Sort of jangled mess, really. <laughs> and there's all sorts of things that we may feel, yes, we should give this attention. You know, the concerns, worries, and so forth. We do need to give it some attention. But um, there's a willingness, but there isn't, a, there isn't actually the capacity to, to give the kind of attention that's required stability, the composure, the clarity, the sensitivity, the firmness, the kindness, you know, it's not there for us. So sometimes we have large issues in our lives. We need to attend to it, actually can't get the wherewithal to really give it what it needs. This is why we use meditation to build up our resources so we can look at some difficult things without, you know, reacting or caving in or going to despair or, or proliferating around it. So that, uh, you know, we build up resources. These are, what are the resources? Through paying attention to the appropriate experiences, breathing in and out, mindfulness of walking, up and down, sensations of the body, elements, loving kindness and so forth. We put up a quality of stability, poise, mm-hmm. and the be- mind becomes quite rich in itself. And there's a quality of contentment in that, composure. And uh, paying attention. So, and that's an ongoing practice of putting outside the boundary of our attention, what is, can't be attended to in a useful way. Now this may sound sort of exclusivist, but it's just being pragmatic. The problem is often we just find ourselves flooded uh, and then actually we're, we're not able to deal with anything in a very competent way. So when you're on retreat, particularly, you've made the time and the space and the sacrifices to, you know, actually find a place where there are boundaries that you can, re- so you can really put aside and, you know, 
use it as a place to build up your resources. And surely every day this is something we should do, not just once a year, but every day as an ongoing thing, to just realize we need not just willingness, but capacity. And without capacity, you just get shredded, really. (laughs) And some things take a long time to really you know, be able to be with or to, to unravel. So that's, that's just the prag- pragmatism of it all. Now when we, uh, the skill of paying attention to uh, breathing, the process of breathing in and out, is one whereby by staying with that the energy of that that impression your mind becomes more subtle more skillful more balanced more astute you get to sense when you're trying to hold on too hard when you're just spacing out going a bit soft on it you're finding the right kind of quality of of intentionality and attention to, to stay with that. And it's not really a matter of, um, <clears throat> you know, just counting breaths, so that, that can be helpful. It can be a matter of just uh, being in your body until you feel that experience of breathing and out, just waiting till you get that sense becomes clearer, then following it. So your intention remains collected you're not kind of running around trying to get it all together, but there's a sense, sense of measured measuredness to your to how you approach meditation. You know, sometimes just sitting, putting thoughts to one side, thinking a little bit about things you need to think about. Okay, sort that out. Put that to one side. Put that to another side. Yeah, think that through, and then right. And now that's enough for now. And now it's going to the body, how that is, setting the body up straight, you know, and so on. So there's a process to that, paying attention, gradually forming a boundary, and then feeling, sense, getting into that experience of it. Mm. As we do so, the mind becomes subtler and more sensitive. As it does so, it's, it's the way it receives impressions changes. So what we experience then becomes something more like a, a flow of these elements, such as a sense of pressures and solidity and warmth. And you begin to experience this more as your experience of body. It's much less uh, uh, associated with a visual impression, but more something much more uh, sensed internally in your own body calming the mind mind becomes subtler more receptive, more attuned and that has an effect on the body energy starts to calm down and gradually that experience of body becomes less differentiated and as it tends to become a kind of a unity because all the, 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 the rigid bits and the stale bits and the 
flaring bits and the stagnant bits have started to even themselves out through, through following the breath. So it becomes much more homogenous. And, uh, and then the breath becomes quite subtle. Energy calms down. It seems almost that sometimes if it's, it's stopping breathing, it becomes subtle and yet you're aware of a kind of a, of a steady kind of radiant quality. This is when, it, uh, when the, the practice is deepening in that way and you can spread that through the whole body. So your body becomes something like a, almost like plasma experience of radiant quality. This is very beautiful uh, just for refreshing the whole system. Now, you know, it doesn't always mean, you know, every sitting we don't always get into that, but give a sense of, of, you know, an ongoing uh, way in which you can look out for the signs in when you meditate. Because this is why it is good to, to feel the energy rather than just the, the air breath, because the air breath tends to almost disappear after a while. Where are you? Where am I? Yeah. The quality of what we call samadhi has particular characteristics to it. Uh, is firm, sense of grounded stability. It is pleasant. There's a sense of, of uh, happiness. It's bright. There's a sense of um, vitality to it. You know, it's bright, happy, and firm. Uh, so you know, this is very much a, an energy, a quality of energy. And uh, it's also the, the, the case that you don't suddenly go from one state to, to a complete full-on, well, most people don't, you know, from, to full-on unwavering samadhi. You tend to get kind of bits of it, senses where you, you pick up the sign of firmness, of stability. So there's an ongoing intelligence that's needed to keep paying attention to the appropriate Qualities. And last night I was talking about the quality of stability. So when you get that sense, you see, it's not just following, you know, a physical thing. It's following the tracking, the energy in a holistic way. So you get the whole sense of, and that's interesting, in that whole experience, there's some sign of steadiness, of stability. Okay, let's go towards that. Make, expand your awareness of that. Put other bits to one side and just go to the sense of the stable. And within that, there's some sense of feeling comfortable. So we expand awareness of that comfortable stability. As we know, any given time, parts of the body can be experiencing discomfort or stiffness. And yet, probably if you were sitting watching a horror movie, you wouldn't be aware of that, you know. Or you were kind of having listening to some really interesting music, you'd be aware of stiff knee wouldn't get in there because you're so absorbed in that. So similarly, if you, you know, that's because your attention is is held by something else, so that other things don't get in. 
And this is very much the case with, um, you know, with, with meditation. It's not a matter so much of suppressing, but, but really focusing on where you are comfortable and stable. And the other parts will tend to just not really got on the screen. And you can even, once you pick up that sign of where you've, the sense of it, the sense of firm, stable, comfortable. Now that itself becomes uh, like a, a meditation object or a nimitta, a sign. When the Buddha said you pay attention to these signs, it's through these signs that the development occurs. So you give that appropriate attention. And you soften and, and widen. This means you can spread that quality all over your body. Just as if you have a, kind of like a sponge and this quality, and then you can just kind of spread it in all directions. This may sound a little strange. Um, but yeah, we do do this, uh, you know. But generally we do it when we feel, you know, I stub my toe. Then I spread that pain all over the place. You know, it doesn't just stay in my toe. It goes through my whole body. And it's probably likely to go onto somebody who's standing next to me if I'm not restrained enough. Like, oh, <laughs> we transfer our pain. <laughs> Couldn't we transfer our pleasure as well? And of course, we do this in, a, in an obvious way. You know, you feel very happy. You go up and give somebody a hug or something. You transfer in your pleasure. This is a subtle way of doing it. So you're just sensing that feeling of it and then just widening, like let the whole body take this in. This is a skill. Uh, and it's, it's a very uh, beautiful thing because this is the way in which we rejuvenate and regenerate. So just think of it as your whole nervous system gets uh, a servicing and it also affects your mind begins to relax there's a restedness in that so you're not kind of cranking it out and pumping it out all over the place but feeling with an intention of just spreading that letting that spread and then your your mental faculties your thinking can just take a break rest calm down don't need to figure the next thing. This is uh, so time to take a rest. And this sense of resting is, is also a very important sign. You know, what we mean by that? Resting. Stable, comfortable, enough. Resting. Because most people, I think, are chronically tired. You know, when we come on retreat, we're super, we realize we're superficially tired, a bit frayed, a bit jangled, do- dozy, sleepy. I think, oh well, you know, have a nap, take a break, a few days, and then you, while you feel how, when the superficial tiredness goes away, you feel how chronically tired you are. <laughs> Which is, Tired of having to keep this thing going, tired of having to get through another day, tired of having to be with myself, <laughs> tired of listening to my mind. <laughs> you know, tired of just having a hold of the thing, t- 
hard happened to keep thinking about the next thing I have to do, figuring, planning, making sure it works. Be nice to just oh, take a really take a break. But we need to have a place to do that in, and obviously, uh, you know, uh, uh, a monastery or a retreat center is a place which offers that as a suggestion. And yet, of course, we can be busy in this too. Our minds can keep bubbling away. Guilt, anxiety, worry, doubt, plans, issues. So it requires a little more full-on attention to really get a real rest. And sometimes we feel guilty about it, you know, taking a rest. But this is not a sloppy lazy thing to do it's a very skillful it takes quite a lot of skillful tuning in to find the place where you're balanced you're settled you're not pushing things away and you feel that sense of the blessedness of of a rest you know where your batteries can get recharged where you can feel that sense of enjoyment enjoyment is very much part of the practice and this quality of rest is, is, is not lazy it's, not, it's also productive in a strange way because what it does is it allows energy to accumulate it allows a build up not of energy of pressure, but a build-up of an energy of uh, happiness, of uh, fulfillment, of ease. Yeah? Now, sometimes it's also the case that, that when we meditate, some people experience quite strong qualities of rapture. You start to feel a bit lifting off the ground, sort of buzzy, or you know, luminous mind states. And this is why it's important to bear in mind that the, you know, if this occurs, that you, this, is, this itself is not to be um, furthered, but to be brought to rest. You know, that, that what's called settling or resting or um, calming. That, so that, you know, you, you don't want to get more and more emotional interest in energy running around you know you want to get the sense of just almost like an emotional stepping back spaciousness widening softening not making too much of a big deal out of it looking for the sign of where do things sit in balance poise sukha ease comfort and calming steadying the mind don't neglect this. It has the intention towards that. Intention towards rest. Sort of making rest or something, you know, we talk about cessation. People think, oh, cessation, that sounds slightly creepy, fear, fearful, but probably profound. You know, cessation of phenomena, bang, crash, emptiness, void. You talk about taking a rest, you know. 
But that's what I mean. <laughs> it's not a wipeout experience, it's just the sitting in, in balance without a lot of surplus nagging stuff going on. Builds up your potential, builds up your capacities. So it has to be that intention to that. So include it all, pay attention, softening, widening, including it all. Well, you don't include it all before you've paid attention, because <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> you know, if we do, we don't, you know, that's how we get overwhelmed. When there is that stability and that resource, Include it all. What does that mean? Include it all. This is where we develop insight because she's at the place of, of, of stillness, of stopping, and then you just kind of come out of that or, or set your intention up to, to witness. Mm-hmm. Then you, you begin to see things fundamental patterns so the all becomes if you like really core or central central issues so every thought it's your karma you might say so what you might begin to get in touch with is for a start you know the things that that don't want you to rest the guilts, the sense of obligation, the workaholic, they've got to do, they've got to get done. And of course they'll have topics. You know, milk the dog, water the cow, whatever it is. <laughs> Endless things. And yet, if you look at it, the root of it is some sort of fretful, you know, gotta, gotta, gotta keep, gotta keep. Now you want to include that. What's that? What's that? What's that feel like? So we begin to include some core, what I call programs, sankara, core programs in our karma. Ones that support all the manifold things that we do, the way we experience things, and are the framework of our suffering, of how nobody wants to suffer, surely. So how come we sort of support our suffering? We kind of weave ourselves into deadlocks. We knit ourselves into to ways of behavior that uh, end up becoming a burden. Hmm? So we start to, these things that we don't, obviously we're not in control of them. But when you come into a place of stability and rest, you've got the possibility of actually having some leverage over these compulsions. Obviously there are compulsions to do with sense, sense objects. You know, fairly obvious, fairly 
you know, simple oral gratification, um, in needing to be filled with something. Thoughts, books, ideas, something to kind of the hungry mouth needing to be filled. Now, the more that you you find that resource, then this 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 for this particular um, program will start to become less relevant because you're finding enough satisfaction in what you in in your in your own practice in your meditation. You don't actually need a lot to have that kind of input. So one becomes because of that one becomes more dispassionate. And this is a sign, the insight signs. You see the, the summit or calming signs are things like stability, uh, happiness, and rest. Insight, the signs are detachment. That's the ability to actually see one of these things rather than not even know, you know that we're caught up, but just be following it. So you start to recognize, hey, there's that pull, which... Before, one was so kind of bonded to it, we didn't even notice it. You know, your hand is in the cookie jar or whatever. And no, no, I'm, you know, having another noggin or whatever it is people do. <laughs> no, no, I'm just having a drink, that's all. <laughs> you know, whatever the thing is, you know, uh, that we, do, we don't seem to even notice it. So the first thing is you get, wow, what's going on? There? And you really, and then Viraga... This is called viveka or detachment. Viragi, you begin to get a sense of dispassion. Right? You feel that energy of that which wants to reach out and grab something. First, to start, you don't actually buy into it. And then the more you, you, you get around that and you breathe through it, it starts to cool down and calm down. And... Uh, you see, it's really just a uh, uh, confusion. Because it's trying, it's the assumption behind it is this is going to fill you up with something it doesn't. So then this sense of nipital, disinterest. Yeah. And this is, uh, so these are the signs of interest. You become ability to see things clearly, to step back, become more dispassionate towards it, you're not making an issue around it one way or another, just see it for what it is. You don't make a self out of it. Just there's that habit. Now it's very important to, to get that uh, sense of dispassion rather than you know either, either feeling guilty about an addiction or a habit or feeling defensive about it. There's that. So we all have these, um, you know, body, mind, senses, and they have appetites. So everyone is is born with these appetites. And nothing, no copyright on it. It's not, I'm not the only person with sense desire. You know, how shameful. Everybody else is kind of beyond it all. No, we recognize that. So, you know, what is it like? What does it do? What does it feel like? Where's it going? And just getting 
And uh, what the, the, one of the main reasons why people don't actually get this in perspective is as a, as a feeling you can't do anything about it, or it's okay. It's okay, everybody's doing this, it's okay. Or we're all stuck in this, so we can't do much about it, so you might as well kind of go along with the show and, you know, just trying to keep it decent, really. But we can do something about it. It's, it's not through repression or disapproval, but just finding a better source of feeling good. Then, of course, then you can, you know, seeing, touching, tasting, feeling can still go on, but we're, we've got some leverage over it. We're not hooked on it. Another big program is our, is our sense of... Uh, self in terms of uh, what we do uh, becoming a sense of identity very very powerful one and we get hooked up to you know competence or efficiency or you know loyalty you know things that uh, are in theory good but we get compulsive about it and there's never an end to to it. The need to be something. That may seem as if that, that renders us all kind of you know, in some state of stupefa- stupefaction, like, you know, like brain dead, there's nothing to be anything. It doesn't, it just takes the compulsion out of it. Mm-hmm. And it also behind the need to be something is the shadow impression that you're really not good enough as you are. So you need to be something else. And you don't even know how you are, apart from feeling vaguely needy. <laughs> need to be something. So who, you know, what are you already? As we find a sense of stability and composure and firmness, it's not as if you're being that, but you can recognise there is this that you can that can because because in a way you've participated in in developing and cultivating that you know it's not what you are, but it's a place you can go and you can go to that place where you don't have to be anything. You can take a rest from that. This means that then whatever we do become in terms of our jobs, our relationships, our activities, our performances or lack of them, it becomes a lot lighter. You're not leaning on it as something that's got to be riddled with anxiety, but something that's just an offering. This is what I can be for you right now. I can't be everything you want or everything you need or everything you expect, but I can be this. You know, this is what I can offer. And uh, then, then our our our, our, our Behaviors, our activities, our jobs, our relationships can be just a sort of gift. gift. This is what I can do. 
This is what can happen through this. So, personally, I think it gets much easier as one practices to be quite okay about the limitations, the things I just, just not good at, you know. Things that other people find quite easy, I'm not, just not really good at, really. But then what we can offer, we can offer. So you start to look at that uh, sense of inadequacy or need or got to make or got to be something for everybody, got to be a winner in everybody's eyes, got to be the person who can fix it all for everyone, you know. It doesn't say it like that, of course. That sounds ludicrous. And yet, just recognize how many times that sense of you know it's it's all up to me it's all up to me comes rushing in and we 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 go for it sometimes it's the case that we go in the other extreme is to almost to annihilate yourself like can't do anything can't be anybody that's that's easier Because then I don't have to to see the limitations. I don't have to enter the game. So I just sort of back out. Just no, me, nobody, me, no nothing, me, no speaking English, me, you know, nothing. You know, that that kind of trying to be nothing. But that isn't the case either, and that doesn't bring you to a place of stability and ease either, because we, you know. The middle bit is to recognize whatever we can be and become is limited, but doesn't mean it's not valid. So we're accepting the impermanence, the relativity, the limitations, the non-self, doesn't mean that we can't use or be in the relative world. But we hold it lightly. sense of becoming something. So you start to see some of these these uh, these programs as they come up. And how immediate they can be as one's first response. You know, something happens and the first response is probably the, the karma. You know. to, you know, so something's happening, something's, you know, something's going wrong. First thing to just justify oneself or defend oneself or rather than the first response or should be, let's go to the stability first of all. Go to that sense and then review it from there. So it's that checking. Often you wait, you know, the first response comes up, it's a reaction, you just let that pass. And then deepen, steady, so that you can you know, 
include some of these uh, behaviors, these karmas, these, these habits that, that arise in, in the practice, you get round them. Last year, I, just to give you an example, last year I went on a, a tudong, which is, is a long-distance walk. This was for two months. I wasn't walking all the time, but that was the, you know, I stopped here and there on the way. And I particularly uh, decided I would do it on my own without a companion. So there's a lot of, in that there's a lot of opening of vulnerability because as a monk, when you go, you don't have any money and uh, uh, you just got to rely really upon what happens in a town when you go into a town and stand there with your bowl and maybe somebody will recognize what you're doing and respond to it. So that's quite a big um, step really into, into insecurity. I found it very, very interesting, very insightful. Decision to, you know, to go on my own meant there wasn't somebody else who could do the bits that I'm not good at. <laughs> so I can kind of convince myself that I'm not really much good at reading maps. I can convince myself, you know, I'm not really, you know, I'm getting a bit old, I can't really do hills. Uh, I can convince myself that, you know, um, what number of things and yet you know just say well okay let's just go into those places that you think you can't do you've decided you're not good at and make it so that you know you've got to get good at it <laughs> how good you have to be and uh, you know just coming out of that self-defeat program I think we all have uh, perhaps we all have a sort of self-destruction self-defeat program well, I can't do that, or somebody else can do that. You're wonderful because you can do that, but not me, I can't, you know. And it's been a situation where, you know, you've got to do it. And uh, so it was really interesting to find, actually, I can do that. You know, maybe I'm not as quick, but I can do it. And then going for arms round, it was really interesting again, you know, because very self-conscious, I suppose we all are. But can you imagine how self-conscious you could feel standing in a town you'd never been to before on a street wearing a robe with a bowl in your hand? Like, you know, you just really want to shrivel up in a corner somewhere. (laughs) Or if you could, you'd dial for a pizza. (laughs) You can't. So you kind of just shut off all the places where you could just get out of this. Yeah, I could say, you know, I could sort of maybe phone somebody up and say, "Hey, get, could you bring us a meal, Joe?" You know, and just, and just stop doing that. So those places where you want to just curl up and hide, and you can't do that. At the same time, you can't really go around rattling the bowl like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> food, food, food. <laughs> so, so you're in this middle position. 
standing. And then uh, every, every time I do that, the thought will come up, this isn't going to work. There's no way this can work. I can't see how this could possibly work. I mean, I wouldn't give any food to this, this person. <laughs> this weird guy, standing, I've never seen before, standing on the street looking like, I don't know, something out of the 14th century or something out of a lunatic asylum or something like that, you know. And yet every day you stand there and you stand and you see people coming past, walking past. And you look at one and think, oh, she looks like she's about to... Oh, no, she isn't. (laughs) Well, this guy looks kind of friendly. Oh, okay. (laughs) And then eventually just kind of give up. Give up. Practice giving up. Then somebody comes along, puts food in the bowl. And uh, I found it really amazing, you know, that I'm sure you could, you could sympathize. Because also being, being a, a monk for many years, you think, well, I mean, you must be used to it. But no, yes and no. Because there's still the basic sense is, you know, that somehow or another I earn alms food. I earn it because I teach, I give talks, I look after monasteries, I'm earning a living, you know, and the folk come along and feed me because I'm doing a good job. Or I can, somebody can come along and I can, you know, I can say something wise, and they'll say, oh, wonderful, Bhante, and give me some food. <laughs> but here, no chance to be wise. No chance to say anything. You can't bring out your CV, look what I've done, you know. <laughs> The free books, the incense, it's not there. <laughs> so there really is a sense of just, you know, gee, you really... I don't want to be here without my, without my front, you know, without my, you know, who I am, you know, without my credentials. Look what I've become, you know. You realise I've been a Buddhist monk for 35 years, all these wonderful precepts I keep and things I know and insights and meditation I can do and teach... No, nope. gone. You know, just some weird guy standing on the street. That's what you've become. <laughs> and in that, yeah. So just kind of having that that sense of having given, you know, really giving up one's identity, one's apparent identity, and uh, the incredible beauty. Difficult to put in words, but. You know, tearful of a person I've never seen in my life before seeing this bowl, seeing this figure, and somehow move to put something in it. So very used just kind of undoing or recognizing some of these programs, earning a living, being worthwhile, being useful, that's still kind of running there. Justifying my existence. Justifying my existence on the planet. Paying my way. Earning my keep. Now I'm Personally, you know, I have every wish to offer. I mean, I enjoy offering. I want to do that. 
I want to offer my life, offer my energy, offer my services. But it's really good to sense that, you know, the difference between a really pure offering and an offering that's tinted with paying my way, being worthwhile, <laughs> being useful, you know, <laughs> that kind of, somehow there's still some self left in it, you know. And just seeing that, that, that having an experience where you can actually be asked or be forced in matter to let go of the whole history and just be that moment of standing open and recognizing it's that moment of standing open that brings the blessing. Not your wonderful this and your sterling efforts to do that and this and that and the other. It's the moment of standing in openness that has brought that. Yeah. Now, you know, this is just say, an example of a, of a, of a um, offering. I mean, it's not something you're necessarily going to be doing, but just just looking into those those areas where, you know, these programs of of what how good do you have to be to be here? How good do you have to be to deserve love? How good do you have to be to be deserve respect. What price do you put on that? Can you just say, you know, there is no price tag on this so that all of your actions are just really free of that paying a bill, paying a debt that you don't owe. What... um, then you see it then just consider what actions you would do and how rich those actions would be how free how joyful those actions would be how complete those actions would be this is where you know there's an ending of karma Well, often it's one of the um, recognitions about uh, an enlightened being is saying they have finished karma, which means, in a sense, they've kind of finished their, cleaned out their residues, their old karma is finished, they've not hung up on it, it doesn't mean they can't remember things they've done, but they're not, it's not following them, it's not haunting them, it's not dogging them. It's just, okay, there's no, there's no fire in it, it's finished. And there's no new karma. And yet we can recognize that, uh, take the example of the Buddha as a paramount example, we take as model of enlightenment, it's pretty active. You know, for 50 years. Right to his last moment, his last breathing moment. You know, saying, okay, I'm on my deathbed now. I've got, you know, there's not much, few more minutes left. Anybody, please ask me any questions you have while I'm still around. Yeah. If you can't, if you feel a bit embarrassed, you ask somebody else to ask the question on your behalf. Don't miss the opportunity to ask a question so that I can offer. I mean, this is magnificent, isn't it? The sense of offering. 
But do you think the Buddha was a workaholic? <laughs> Needing to prove that he was good enough? <laughs> Doing his bit? Or was it just the sense of that, that magnificence of pure intent was unchecked, unbridled? And yet within that, he was at rest because everything was coming not from a place with some tint of, well, I'll do this so that I'll be the great world teacher. I'll do this so I'll get a good bunch of monks. I'll do this so that I'll go down in history. I'll do this so that, you know, I feel that my, uh, I've been worthy of my parents, whatever. Without that, it's just there is the doing. So there's an intentionality, there's action, but there's no karma and there's no, there's no, no inheritance the Buddha not saying, hey, I did pretty good that day, you know, good day for me, or I didn't do so good today. Yeah. There's, no, there's no hook, there's no residue left. It just flows, and it's like the fire, it burns, and it, as it burns, it blows out. It's like that. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you know, this is, this is the Olympic standard. But it helps perhaps to just consider this in terms of how is their activity and how is their rest at the same time? Do we have to go into rest and say, you know, not doing anything? Yeah. Or we go, okay, got to be get back into activity, can't be in rest anymore. Is it possible to have the two seeming contradictions at the same time? And, you know, yes, it is, at least as, a, as a, an aim. It means that you stay, you could say very simply, staying in your center, staying in the sense of, of composure and collectedness, letting the, your in, intentions widen to include you know, how you manifest, how you speak. You speak from that, you act from that. What you don't know, you know you don't know. What you do know, you know you do know. And you say it as it is, you know doesn't have to be the best it's what it what that's what manifests so there's none of this kind of nervous selfing going on around it so though we say in uh niroda or cessation or rest can be in samadhi a complete kind of resting where there's no thought no action things just quieten down and that can deepen to a to a state of of you know almost you know deep deep rest and this is can be helpful, you know, but uh, you know, as a regeneration. But the real rest is the rest from defilements, the rest from anxiety, the rest from worry, the rest from becoming, the rest from selfhood. And this is the rest that you work out in relationship to these. Uh, activities to our personal world to this is why we include it all you include it at the root of it you include those nagging senses of self as they manifest the the intimidation the awkwardness the defensiveness the assertiveness the compulsiveness oh look at that and now those are the places where you and for insight, you start to hold those or attend to those 
so that you can, this process of clearing, cleaning out, clearing the phantoms. The phantoms are that I am, I will be, you know, dependent upon this action. This action is a sign of myself. It's not a sign of self, it's a sign of intention, behavior. So there is a rest that is accomplished or perfected in activity. But of course it's not any activity, it's not compulsive activity, it's not careless activity, it's activity where you keep bearing in mind, you keep that sense of the collected, the stable, the openness, you know, whatever you, however you experience that resource of balance where you feel at rest, a rest which is not sleepy, it's poised, it's like a spring, you know, you can sense that and then you begin to measure your initial activation. So the initial activation, it could be the activation of, of um, skillful activation, you know, warmth, you want to support others. It's not bad, but just check that, be with that. The activation of fear, defense, irritation, you know, unskillful ones, yes, uh-huh. So, but, you know, this is, this is a way in which we start to unravel our karma. So, as in the terms of the meditation retreat, as we, you know, as I'm saying, this is definitely the time to keep finding your resource where you do feel, and it's not that everything in you is stable and wonderful, but there is that. There is that quality somewhere. It needs to be attended to, given wise attention, and widened. You expand the sense of that. Mm-hmm. And as you're expanding the sense of that, you be, that automatically begins to push you into contact with those energies that don't want you to do it, that resist that. Yeah. The kind of nervousness or the fear of sometimes we fear losing our our compulsions because your compulsions become so normalized it's like you know who you are and feeling free is kind of weird <laughs> you know it's not it doesn't like you're so used to carrying weight that having the weight off your back is you feel slightly unbalanced So sometimes we almost have a, I think, Trumpa, children Trumpa call it nostalgia for samsara. Actually, something that wants to get back to our rubbish heap, <laughs> where you know how to operate in that little jungle, you know. So there's a certain edge, you know, of the nakedness, of the unusualness, of the openness that doesn't feel like my habitual self. And, okay, but is it stable? Can you stabilize in that? Can you feel comfortable in that? Can you, you know, widen and deepen into that? 
So there is this possibility to really almost like realign. It's just like you've learnt to, you know, like when you have chiropractic, your body's gone out of balance, it's become so normal. And you actually have to be readjusted to find out where the true balance is. And from this place of true balance, the interest and the wonder and the ongoing curiosity of practice is to really start to unravel our karma, where our buttons are, where we get where our buttons get pushed. Check how it feels, how how it feels in your body, how you can breathe in out through that, how you can come back to poise and rest in that. Okay, so offer this for your reflection. And if you'd like to have a few minutes, um, stretch your legs.